Chapter Twenty Seven of Zanoni by Edward Bulwer Lytton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirk Ziegler. The Italian did not overrate that craft of simulation proverbial with her country and sex. Not a word, not a look. That day revealed to Glyndon the deadly change that had converted devotion into hate. He himself, indeed, absorbed in his own schemes, and in reflections on his own strange destiny, was no nice observer. But her manner, milder and more subdued than usual, produced a softening effect upon his meditations towards the evening, and he then began to converse with her on the certain hope of escape, and on the future that would await them in less unhallowed lands. "'And thy fair friend,' said Felitti, with an averted eye and a false smile, "'who was to be our companion?' Thou hast resigned her, Nico tells me, in favour of one in whom he trusts. Is it so? He told thee this, returned Glyndon evasively. Well, does the change content thee? Traitor, muttered Felide, and she rose suddenly, approached him, parted the long hair from his forehead caressingly, and pressed her lips convulsively on his brow. This were too fair a head for the doomsman, said she, with a slight laugh, and turning away, appeared occupied in the preparation for their departure. The next morning, when he rose, Glyndon did not see the Italian. She was absent from the house when he left it. It was necessary that he should once more visit C before his final departure, not only to arrange for Nicot's participation in the flight, but lest any suspicion should have arisen to thwart or endanger the plan he adopted c though not one of immediate coterie of robespierre and indeed secretly hostile to him had possessed the art of keeping well with each faction as it rose to power sprung from the dredges of the populace he had nevertheless the grace and vivacity so often found impartially amongst every class in france he had contrived to enrich himself none knew how in the course of his rapid career he became, indeed, ultimately one of the wealthiest proprietors of Paris, and at that time kept a splendid and hospitable mansion. He was one of those whom, from various reasons, Robespierre deigned to favor, and he had often saved the proscribed and suspected, by procuring them passports under disguised names, and advising their method of escape. But C. was a man who took this trouble only for the rich, the incorruptible Maximilian, who did not want the tyrant's faculty of penetration, probably saw through all his manoeuvres, and the avarice which he cloaked beneath his charity. But it was noticeable that Robespierre frequently seemed to wink at nay partially to encourage such vice in men whom he meant thereafter to destroy, as would tend to lower them in public estimation, and to contrast with his own austere and unassailable integrity and purism and doubtless he often grimly smiled in his sleeve at the sumptuous mansion and the griping covetous of the worthy citizen c to this personage then glyndon musingly bent his way it was true as he had darkly said to viola that in proportion as he had resisted the spectre its terrors had lost their influence the time had come at last when seeing crime and vice in all their hideousness and in so vast a theatre he had found that in vice and crime there are deadlier horrors than meet the eyes of a phantom fear. His native nobleness began to return to him. As he passed the streets, he revolved in his mind projects of future repentance and reformation. He even meditated, as a just return for Felide's devotion, the sacrifice of all the reasonings of his birth and education, 
he would repair whatever errors he had committed against her by the self-immolation of marriage with one little congenial with himself he who had once revolted from marriage with the noble and gentle viola he had learned that in the world of wrong to know that right is right and that heaven did not make the one sex to be the victim of the other the young visions of the beautiful and the good rose once more before him and along the dark ocean of his mind lay the smile of reawakening virtue as a path of moonlight never perhaps had the condition of his soul been so elevated and unselfish in the meanwhile jean nicot equally absorbed in the dreams of the future and already in his own mind laying out to the best advantage the gold of the friend he was about to betray took his way to the house honored by the residence of robespierre he had no intention to comply with the relenting prayer of Felidi that the life of glyndon should be spared he thought with Brerere, in all men who have devoted themselves to any study or any art with sufficient pains to attain a certain degree of excellence there must be a fund of energy immeasurably above that of the ordinary herd usually this energy is concentrated on the objects of their professional ambition and leaves them therefore apathetic to the pursuits of men but where those objects are denied where the stream has not its legitimate vent the energy irritated and roused possesses the whole being and if not wasted on delusory schemes or if not purified by conscience and principle becomes a dangerous and destructive element in the social system through which it wanders in riot and disorder hence in all wise monarchies nay in all well-constituted states the peculiar care with which channels are opened for every art and every science hence the honor paid to their cultivators by subtle and thoughtful statesmen who perhaps for themselves see nothing in a picture but colored canvas nothing in a problem but an ingenious puzzle no state is ever more in danger than when the talent that should be consecrated to peace has no occupation but political intrigue or personal advancement talent unhonored is talent at war with men and here it is noticeable that the class of actors having been the most degraded by the public opinion of the old regime their very dust deprived of christian burial no men were more relentless and revengeful among the scourges of the revolution in the savage Collot de herbois mauvais comedienne were embodied the wrongs and the vengeance of a class now the energy of jean nicot had never been sufficiently directed to the art he professed even in his earliest youth the political disacquisitions of his master david had distracted him from the more tedious labors of the easel the defects of his person had embittered his mind the atheism of his benefactor had deadened his conscience for one great excellence of religion above all the religion of the cross is that it praises patience first into a future that it praises patience first into a virtue and next into a hope take away the doctrine of another life the requital hereafter the smile of a father upon the sufferings and trials in our ordeal here and what becomes of patience but without patience what is man and what a people without patience art can never be high without patience liberty never can be perfected by wild throes and impetuous aimless struggles intellect seeks to soar from punery and a nation to struggle into freedom and woe thus unfortified guideless and unenduring woe to both nicot was a villain as a boy in most criminals however abandoned there are touches of humanity relics of virtue 
and the true delineator of mankind often incur the taunt of bad hearts and dull minds for showing that even the worst alloy has some particles of gold and even the best that come stamped from the mint of nature have some adulteration of the dross there are exceptions though few to the general rule exceptions when the conscience lies utterly dead and when good or bad things are indifferent but as means to some selfish end so it was with the protege of the atheist envy and hate filled up his whole being and the consciousness of superior talent only made him curse the more all who passed him in the sunlight with a fairer form or happier fortunes but monster though he was when his murderous fingers gripped the throat of his benefactor time and ferment of all evil passions the rain of blood had made in the deep hell of his heart a deeper still unable to exercise his calling his whole intellect ever restless unguided was left to ponder over the images of guilt most congenial to it he had no future but in this life and how in this life had the men of power round him the great wrestlers for dominion thriven all that was good pure unselfish whether among royalists or republicans swept to the shambles the deathsmen alone in the pomp and purple of their victims nobler paupers than jean nicot would despair and poverty would rise in its ghastly multitudes to cut the throat of wealth and then to gash itself limb by limb if patience the angel of poor sat not by its side pointing with a solemn finger to the life to come and now as nicot neared the house of the dictator he began to meditate a reversal of his plans of the previous day not that he faltered in his resolution to denounce glyndon and viola would necessarily share his fate as a companion and accomplice no there he was resolved for he hated both viola had scorned him glyndon had served and thought of gratitude as intolerable to him as the memory of insult but why now should he fly from france he could possess himself of glyndon's gold he doubted not that he could so master Felide by her wrath and jealousy that he could command her acquiescence in all he proposed. The papers he had purloined, Desmoulins' correspondence with Glyndon, while it ensured the fate of the latter, might be eminently serviceable to Robespierre, might induce the tyrant to forget his own old liaisons with Herbert, and enlist him among the allies and tools of the King of Terror hopes of advancement of wealth of career again rose before him this correspondence dated shortly before camille desmoulin's death was written with that careless and daring imprudence which characterized the spoiled child of danton it spoke openly of designs against robespierre it named confederates whom the tyrant desired only a popular pretext to crush it was the new instrument of death in the hands of the death compeller what greater gift could he bestow on maximilian the incorruptible nursing these thoughts he arrived at last before the door of the citizen duplex around the threshold were grouped in admired confusion some eight or ten sturdy jacobins the voluntary bodyguard of robespierre tall fellows well armed and insolent with the power that reflects power mingled with women young and fair and gaily dressed who had come upon the rumor that maximilian had had an attack of bile to inquire tenderly of his health for robespierre strange though it may seem was the idol of the sex through this cortege stationed without the door and reaching up the stairs to the landing-place for robespierre's apartments were not spacious enough to afford sufficient antechamber for levies so numerous and miscellaneous 
Nico forced his way, and far from friendly or flattering were the expressions that regaled his ears. Ah, plus joli, plus said a comely matron, whose robe and his obtrusive and angular elbows cruelly discomposed. But how could one expect gallantry from such a scarecrow? Citizen, I beg to advise thee, that thou art treading on my feet. I beg thy pardon, but now I look at thine, I see the hall is not wide enough for them. Ho, oh, citizen Nico, cried a Jacobin, shouldering his formidable bludgeon, and what brings thee hither? Thinkest thou that Herbert's crimes are already forgotten? Off, sport of nature, and thank the entry supreme, that he made thee insignificant enough to be forgiven. A pretty face to look out the national window. The guillotine, said the woman whose robe the painter had ruffled. Citizens, said Nico, white with passion, but constraining himself so that his words seemed to come from grinded teeth. I have the honour to inform you that I seek the representant upon business of the most importance to the public and himself. And, he added slowly and malignantly glaring around, I call all good citizens to be my witness when I shall complain to Robespierre of the reception bestowed upon me by some amongst you. There was in the man's look and his tone of voice so much of a deep and concentrated malignity that the idlers drew back and as the remembrance of the sudden ups and downs of revolutionary life occurred to them, several voices were lifted to assure the squalid and ragged painter that nothing was farther from their thoughts than to offer affront to a citizen whose very appearance proved him to be an exemplary sans-culotte. Nicot received these apologies in sullen silence, and folding his arms leaned against the wall, waiting in grim patience for his admission. The loiterers talked to each other in separate knots of two or three, and through the general hum rang a loud, clear, careless whistle of the tall Jacobin who stood guard by the stairs. Next to Nicot an old woman and a young virgin were muttering in earnest whispers, and the atheist painter chuckled inly to overhear their discourse. "'I assure thee, my dear,' said the crone, with a mysterious shake of head, "'that the divine Catherine Theo, who the impious now persecute, is really inspired.' There can be no doubt that the elect of whom Dom Jurel and the virtuous Robespierre are destined to be the two grand prophets will enjoy eternal life here and exterminate all their enemies. There is no doubt of it, not the least. How delightful, said the girl. Say cher Robespierre, he does not look very long lived either. The greater the miracle, said the old woman. I am just eighty-one, and I don't feel a day older since Catherine Theo promised me I should be one of the elect. Here the women were jostled aside by some newcomers, who talked loudly and eagerly. Yes, cried a brawny man, whose garb denoted him to be a butcher, with bare arms and a cap of liberty on its head. I am come to warn Robespierre. They lay a snare for him. They offer him the Palais National. No, indeed, answered a cordonier. I like him best in his little lodging, where the minuser, it looks like one of us. Another rush of the crowd and a new group were thrown forward in the vicinity of Nico, and these men gabbled and clattered faster and louder than the rest. But my plan is, au diablo with your plan, I tell you my scheme is, nonsense, cried a third, when Robespierre understands my new method of making gunpowder, the enemies of France shall, bah, who fears foreign enemies, interrupted a fourth. The enemies to be feared are at home. My new guillotine takes off fifty heads at a time. But my new constitution, exclaimed a fifth. 
my new religion citizen murmured complacently a sixth sacre militonaires silence roared a fourth of the jacobin guard and the crowd suddenly parted as a fierce-looking man buttoned up to the chin his sword rattling by his side his spurs clicking at his heel descended the stairs his cheeks swollen with purple intemperance his eyes dead and savage as a vulture's there was a still pause as all with pale cheeks made way for the relentless henroit scarce had his gruff voice an iron minion of the tyrant stalked through the throng than a movement of a respect and agitation and fear swayed the increasing crowd as there glided in with the noiselessness of a shadow a smiling sober citizen plainly but neatly clad with a downcast humble eye a milder meeker face no pastoral poet could assign to corridon or thrarissus why did the crowd shrink and hold their breath as the ferret in a burrow crept that slight form amongst the larger and rougher creatures that huddled and pressed back on each other as he passed a wink of his stealthy eye and the huge jacobin left the passage clear without sound or question on he went to the apartment of the tyrant and thither we will follow him robespierre was reclining languidly in his fauteuil his cadaverous countenance more jaded and fatigued than usual he to whom catherine theo assured immortal life looked indeed like a man at death's door on the table before him was a dish heaped with oranges with the juice of which it is said that he could alone assuage the acrid bile that overflowed his system and an old woman richly dressed was employed in peeling the hesperian fruits for the sick dragon with delicate fingers covered with jewels i have before said that robespierre was the idol of the women strange certainly but then they were french women the old marquis who like catherine theot called him son really seemed to love him piously and disinterestedly as a mother and as she peeled the oranges and heaped on him the most caressing and soothing expressions the livid ghost of a smile fluttered about his meagre lips at a distance payan and couthon seated at another table were writing rapidly and occasionally pausing from their work to consult with each other in brief whispers suddenly one of the jacobins opened the door and approaching robespierre whispered to him the name of guerin at that word the sick man started up as if new life were in the sound my kind friend he said to the marquis forgive me i must dispense with thy tender cares france demands me i am never ill when i can serve my country the old marquis lifted up her eyes to heaven and murmured quel ange robespierre waved his hand impatiently and the old woman with a sigh patted his pale cheek kissed his forehead and submissively withdrew the next moment the smiling sober man we have before described stood bending low before the tyrant and well might robespierre welcome one of the subtlest agents of his power one on whom he relied more than the clubs of his jacobins the tongues of his orators the bayonets of his armies guerin the most renowned of his equiteurs the searching prying universal omnipresent spy who glided like a sunbeam through chink and crevice and brought him intelligence not only of the deeds but the hearts of men well citizen well and what of tallien this morning early two minutes after eight he went out so early eh he passed rue des la quartier's fields rue de temple rue de la Réunion, almarais rue martin nothing observable except that that what he amused himself at a stall in bargaining for some books bargaining for books aha the charlatan 
he would have cloaked the intrigant under the servant well at last in the rue des fosses montmartre an individual in a blue surtout accosted him they walked together about the street some minutes they were joined by Legendre. Legendre, approach payant Legendre, thou hearest i went into a free stall and hired two little girls to go play at ball within hearing they heard Legendre say i believe his power is wearing itself out and tallien answered and himself too i would not give thee three months purchase for his life i do not know citizen if they meant thee nor i citizen answered robespierre with a fell smile succeeded by an expression of gloomy thought ha ah, he muttered i am young yet in the prime of life i commit no excess no my constitution is sound anything farther of tallien yes the woman whom he loves teresa de fontenay who lies in prison still continues to correspond with him to urge him to save her by thy destruction this my listeners overheard his servant is the messenger between the prisoner and himself so the servant shall be seized in the open streets of paris the reign of terror is not over yet with the letters found on him if such their context i will pluck tallien from his benches in the convention robespierre rose and after walking a few moments to and fro the room in thought opened the door and summoned one of the jacobo without to him he gave his orders for the watch and the arrest of tallien's servant and then threw himself again into his chair as the jacobin departed guerin whispered is not that the citizen aristides yes a faithful fellow if he would wash himself and not swear so much didst thou not guillotine his brother but aristides denounced him nevertheless are such men safe about thy person hm, that is true said robespierre drawing out his pocket-book wrote a memorandum in it replaced it in his vest and resumed what else of tallien nothing more he and Legendre, with the unknown, walked into the Jardin Aglite, and there parted. I saw Tallien to his house. But I have other news. Thou badest me watch for those who threatened thee in secret letters. Gerin, hast thou detected them? Hast thou, hast thou? And the tyrant, as he spoke, opened and shut both his hands, as if already grasping the lives of the riders, and one of those convulsive grimaces that seemed like an epileptic affection to which he was subject distorted his features citizen i think i have found one thou must know that amongst those who disaffected is the painter nico stay stay said robespierre opening a manuscript book bound in red morocco and turning to an alphabetical index nico i have him atheist sound culot friend of herbert not n b rene dumas knows of his early career and crimes proceed this Nicot has been suspected of diffusing tracts and pamphlets against thyself and the committee. Yesterday evening, when he was out, his porter admitted me into his apartment, Rubot Rapier. With my master key, I opened his desk and escritory. I found herein a drawing of thyself at the guillotine, and underneath was written, Executioner of thy country, read the decree of thy punishment. I compared the words with the fragments of various letter thou gavest me the handwriting tallies with one see i tore off the writing robespierre looked and smiled and as if his vengeance were already satisfied threw himself on his chair it is well i feared it was a more powerful enemy this man must be arrested at once 
and he awaits below i brushed by him as i ascended the stairs does he so admit nay hold hold Girin. withhold to the inner chamber till i summon thee again dear payan see that this nicot conceals no weapons payan who was brave as robespierre was pusillanimous repressed the smile of disdain that quivered on his lips a moment and left the room meanwhile robespierre with his head buried in his bosom seemed plunged deep in thought life is a melancholy thing couthon said he suddenly begging your pardon i think death worse answered the philanthropist gently robespierre made no rejoinder but took from his portfolio that single letter which was found amongst his papers and is marked xli in the published collection without doubt it began you are uneasy at not having earlier received news from me be not alarmed you know that i ought to only reply by ordinary courier and as he has been interrupted that is the cause of my delay when you receive this employ all diligence to fly a theatre where you are about to appear and disappear for the last time it were idle to recall to you all the reasons that expose you to peril the last step that should place you sur de sopa de la precedence but brings you to the scaffold and the mob will spit on your face as it has spat on those whom you have judged since then you have accumulated here a sufficient treasure for existence i await you with great impatience to laugh with you at the part you have played in the troubles of a nation as credulous as it is avid of novelties take your part according to our arrangements all is prepared i conclude our courier awaits i expect your reply musingly and slowly the dictator devoured the contents of this epistle no he said to himself no he who has tasted power can no longer enjoy repose yet danton danton thou wert right better to be a poor fisherman than to govern men the door opened and payan reappeared and whispered robespierre all is safe see the man the dictator satisfied summoned his attendant jacobin to conduct nicot to his presence the painter entered with a fearless expression in his deformed features and stood erect before robespierre who scanned him with a sidelong eye it is remarkable that most of the principal actors of the revolution were singularly hideous in appearance from the colossal ugliness of mirabeau and danton or the villainous ferocity in the countenance of david and simon to the filthy squalor of marat the sinister and bilious meanness of the dictator's features but robespierre who was said to resemble a cat had also a cat's cleanness and his prim and dainty dress his shaven smoothness the womanly whiteness of his lean hands made yet more remarkable the disorderly ruffianism that characterized the entire and mind of the painter sans collet and so citizen said robespierre mildly thou wouldst speak with me i know thy merits and civism have been overlooked too long thou wouldst ask some suitable provision in the state scruple not say on thou who enlightest the world i come not to ask a favor but to render a service to the state i have a correspondence that lays open a conspiracy of which many actors are yet unsuspected and he placed the papers on the table robespierre seized and ran his eye over them rapidly and eagerly good good he muttered to himself this is all i wanted barere legendre i have them camille desmoulins was but their dupe i loved him once i never loved them citizen nicot i thank thee 
I observe these letters are addressed to an Englishman. What Frenchman must but distrust these English wolves in sheep clothing? France wants no longer citizens of the world. That farce ended with the anarchist Klutz. I beg pardon, citizen Nico, but Klutz and Herbert were thy friends. Nay, said Nico apologetically, we are all liable to be deceived. I cease to honour them who thou didst declare against, for I disown my own senses rather than thy justice. Yes, I pretend to justice, that is the virtue I affect, said Robespierre meekly, and with his feline propensities he enjoyed. Even in that critical hour of vast schemes, of imminent danger, of meditated revenge, the pleasure of playing with a solitary victim. And my justice shall no longer be blind to thy services, good Nico. Thou knowest this Glyndon? Yes, well, intimately. He was my friend, but I would give up my brother if he were one of the indulgence. I am not ashamed to say that I have received favours from this man. Ah, and thou dost honestly hold the doctrine, that were a man to threaten my life, all personal favours are to be forgotten? All. Good citizen, kind Nico, oblige me by writing the address of this Glyndon. Nicot stooped to the table, and suddenly, when the pen was in his hand, a thought flashed across him, and he paused, embarrassed and confused. Right on, kind Nicot. The painter slowly obeyed. Who are the other familiars of Glyndon? It was on that point I was about to speak to thee, representant, said Nicot. He visits daily a woman, a foreigner, who knows all his secrets. She affects to be poor, and to support her child by industry but she is the wife of an Italian of immense wealth, and there is no doubt that she has monies which are spent in corrupting the citizens. She should be seized and arrested. Write down her name also. But no time is to be lost, for I know that both have a design to escape from Paris this very night. Our government is prompt, good Nico. Never fear. And Robespierre took the paper on which Nico had written, and stooping over it, for he was near-sighted, added smilingly, Dost thou always write the same hand, citizen? This seems almost like a disguised character. I should not like them to know who denounced them, representant. Good, good. Thy virtue shall be rewarded, trust me. Salut el fraternite. Robespierre half froze as he spoke, and Nico withdrew. Ho oh, there, without, cried the dictator, ringing his bell. And as the ready Jacobin attended the summons, follow that man, Jean Nico. The instant he has cleared the house, seize him, at once to the congierge with him. Stay, nothing against the law, there is thy warrant. The public accuser shall have my instruction. Away, quick! The Jacobin vanished. All traces of illness, of infirmity, had gone from the valetitarian. He stood erect on the floor, his face twitching convulsively, and his arms folded. Ho, grin! The spy reappeared. Take these addresses. Within an hour this Englishman and this woman must be in prison. Their revelations will aid me against worthier foes. They shall die. They shall perish with the rest on the tenth, the third day from this. There. And he wrote hastily. There also is thy warrant. Off. And now, Couthon, Payen, we will dally no longer with Tallien and his crew. I have information that the convention will not attend the fete on the tenth. We must trust only to the sword of the law. I must compose my thoughts, prepare my harangue. Tomorrow I will appear at the convention. Tomorrow bold St. Just joins us, fresh from our victorious armies. Tomorrow from the tribune. 
I will dart the thunderbolt on the masked enemies of France. To-morrow I will demand, in the face of the country, the heads of the conspirators. In the meantime, Glyndon, after an audience of some length with C, in which the final preparations were arranged, sanguine of safety, and foreseeing no obstacle to escape, bent his way back to Filetti. Suddenly, in the midst of his cheerful thoughts, he fancied he heard a voice too well and too terribly recognized hissing in his ear. What? Thou wouldst defy and escape me? Thou wouldst go back to virtue and content. It is in vain. It is too late. No, I will haunt thee. Human footsteps, no less inexorable, dog thee now. Me thou shalt not see again till in the dungeon. At midnight, before thy doom, behold. And Glyndon, mechanically turning his head, saw close behind him the stealthy figure of a man whom he had observed before, but with little heed, pass and repass him, as he quitted the house of Citizen C. Instantly and instinctively he knew he was being watched, that he was pursued. The street he was in was obscure and deserted, for the day was oppressively sultry, and it was the hour when few were abroad, either on business or pleasure. Bold as he was, an icy chill shot through his heart, he knew too well the tremendous system that then reigned in Paris, not to be aware of his danger, as the sight of the first plague boil to the victim of the pestilence was the first sight of the shadowy spy to that of the revolution. The watch, the arrest, the trial, the guillotine, these made the regular and rapid steps of the monster that the anarchists called law. He breathed hard, he heard distinctly the loud beating of his heart, and so he paused, still and motionless, gazing upon the shadow that halted also behind him. Presently, the absence of all allies to the spy, the solitude of the streets, reanimated his courage. He made a step towards his pursuer, who retreated as he advanced. "'Citizen, thou followest me,' he said. "'Thy business?' "'Surely,' answered the man, with a depreciating smile. "'The streets are broad enough for both. Thou art not so bad a republican as to arrogate all Paris to thyself.' go on first then i make way for thee the man bowed doffed his hat politely and passed forward the next moment glyndon plunged into the winding lane and fled fast through a labyrinth of streets passages and alleys by degrees he composed himself and looking behind imagined that he had baffled the pursuer he then by a circuitous route bent his way once more to his home as he emerged into one of the broader streets a passenger wrapped in a mantle brushing so quickly by him that he did not observe his countenance, whispered, Clarence Glyndon, you are dogged, follow me. And the stranger walked quickly before him. Clarence turned, and sickened once more to see at his heels, with the same servile smile on his face, the pursuer he fancied he had escaped. He forgot the injunction of the stranger to follow him, and perceiving a crowd gathered close at hand, round a character shop, divided amidst them, and gaining another street altered the direction he had before taken and after a long and breathless course gained without once more seeing the spy a distant courtier of the city here indeed all seemed so serene and fair that his artist eye even in that imminent hour rested with pleasure on the scene it was a comparatively broad space formed by one of the noble quays the sign followed majestically along with boats and craft resting on its surface the sun glit a thousand spires and domes, and gleamed on the white palaces of fallen chivalry. Here fatigued and panting, he paused an instant, and a cooler air from the river fanned his brow. 
a while at least i am safe here he murmured and as he spoke some thirty paces behind him he beheld the spy he stood rooted to the spot wearied and spent as he was escape seemed no longer possible the river on one side and a long row of mansions closing up the other as he halted he heard laughter and obscene songs from a house a little in his rear between himself and the spy it was a cafe fearfully known in that quarter hither often resorted the black troop of henroyt the minions and hussiers of robespierre the spy then had hunted the victim within the jaws of the hounds the man slowly advanced and pausing before the open window of the cafe put his head through the aperture as to address and summon forth its armed inmates at that very instant and while the spy's head was turned from him standing in half-open gateway of the house immediately before him he perceived the stranger who had warned the figure scarcely distinguishable through the mantle that wrapped it motioned to him to enter he sprang noiselessly through the friendly opening the door closed breathlessly he followed the stranger up a flight of broad stairs and through a suite of empty rooms until having gained a small cabinet his conductor doffed the large hat and the long mantle that had hitherto concealed his shape and features and glendon beheld zanoni end of chapter twenty seven recording by kirk ziggler ogden utah voiceover solutions dot com